Morning. Hey, grab your Bible and turn to the book of Jude. Jude. We're finishing up our series today. In Jude 1, we'll be in verses 20 to 25. You know, there's a, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the letter of Jude. And so each Sunday, we've, we've kind of gathered together and, and done a little recap. Um, and I know that for some of you, you know, recaps can be a little bit old and a little bit boring and... Uh, you know, going over the, na- the purpose of Jude and the nature of apostasy and all of these, these big uh, review sessions, it can get old a little bit. Uh, recaps are by nature repetitious, and sometimes uh, it, it can get a little tedious. And I, I learned that specifically last week when, uh, when Kevin and Scott and Doug came up to me and they, they said, Neil, this is boring. And uh, I, I said, guys, I'm just, I'm just trying to preach here. But, but Kevin and Doug and Scott, they, they walked up to me after the service and said, that was a boring introduction. And uh, I, I, I just turned to Kevin. I said, Kevin, what would you recommend? And uh, he had an idea. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but do you guys want to see Kevin's idea? You guys want to see it? Okay, well, give him a hand. Come on up, Doug, Kevin. All right, Scott, come on up. They, they wanted to start the sermon, so we'll see how it goes as they recap Jude. Are you ready? Can I, can I get an F, please? Sing it out. One, two, three. Hey, Jude, don't apostatize. Those who depart, judgment is waiting. Remember God's truth deep down in your heart. Then you will start to live much better. Hey Jude, don't apostatize. Those who depart, judgment is waiting. Remember God's truth deep down in your heart. Then you will start to live much better, 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 better. I kind of like my introductions. I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know how it turned into my idea. Well, there you have it. There's the recap of Jude, folks. Did you like the recap? Yes. Now the the ushers are going to be passing out the uh, sermon for today, and and we we thought that you know for some family sing along tonight we would include those words. So they're on the back of the outline there. If you guys want to sing that later tonight at home. But uh, the recap of Jude. Hey Jude, don't apostatize those who depart. Judgment is waiting. Remember God's truth deep down in your heart. Then you will start.
to live much better. That encapsulates the book of Jude. And uh, it's, been a good, it's been a good time walking through uh, this letter together. I want to draw our attention this morning to what we see in Jude verses 20 to 25. So if you would, if you have your Bible, Jude, first chapter, the only chapter, would you stand with me as we read verses 20 through 25. Jude 20 through 25. Jude writes this as he finishes his letter. He says, But you, beloved, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen. You may be seated. In this last section of Jude's letter, there is a considerable shift in tone and direction of the book as a whole. Up until this point, Jude has been directing his most attention at the conduct of false teachers, of those who have infiltrated the church and who have led the church astray. Up until this point, Jude has had a very ominous and dark tone that repeatedly warns others about these false teachers and repeatedly warns Christians not to apostatize, that is to say not to depart from the faith. If you have questions about apostasy and what that means and how it's related to Jude, I'll refer you to the top portion of our outline. We won't go through that again. I, I was told it was boring. But now we're in a a very unique part of the book. We're moving away from all the focus on false teaching, on all the focus on, on warnings of apostasy, and we're coming into a new and final section of the letter, a welcomed ending to a sometimes terrifying letter. For in verses 20 through 25, Jude speaks positively and proactively to the Christian. In these closing comments, Jude encourages us to remain fixed in God's truth and in His love. Jude gives us hope that we can overcome, that we can live a great and godly earthly life as we exhibit strong faith and character. In these final words, Jude reminds us that God can and will sustain us and protect us if we'll rely on Him for it. In reality, this closing section of the book actually begins in verse 17. Look back at verse 17 in your Bible where he says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in verse 17, that, that, the shift began. He, he had an excursus. Uh, he, he got sidetracked again in verses 18 and 19. But in 17, 
he started talking again to the Christians, in particular to those whom he wanted to live in a certain way. And as he directs his attention proactively and positively toward the believers, he gives four commands. Four commands that encapsulate the closing portion of this letter. And so thus the title of our message here in our series on the Epistle of Jude, part four, the fourth and final part, four final commands for the faithful. Four final commands for the faithful. Again, verse 17, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. On your outline, if you're taking notes, the first command, imperative, that literally in Greek, it's a, it's a, it's a verb that has an imperatival force. It's a, it's a command without a doubt. There are four of them at the end of Jude. This is the first in verse 17. Write down the word, remember. Number one, remember the words of the apostles. That is to say, read and meditate on the Scriptures. Because as Jude wrote, the apostles, those who walked and talked with Christ, and Paul also among them, the apostles were those who were responsible for so much of the writings of the New Testament. And so when Jude says, remember the words of the apostles, he is in effect saying, read and meditate on God's Word. The best way, one of the best ways to avoid succumbing to false teaching is to remain fixed in this book. It is to abide in God's Word. Faith, faith needs an anchor. And our anchor is the Word of God. It keeps us steady. It keeps us fixed on Him. There's a second command though as Jude continues his final comments in the book. The second command is actually found in verse 21. But we'll start in verse 20. Let's read it through together from 20 to 21. He writes, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This next command, the second command that's found at the end of Jude's letter is found actually in verse 21 when Jude says, and write this down, keep yourselves, keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude, verses 20 and 21 represent great wisdom for how God wants us to live. But each one of these nuggets of wisdom is actually built around what is said at the start of verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The word keep there is in the imperative. None of the other verbs are. And that's like a, a, a flash in Greek that says, and this is what's central in this entire context. What he has said in verse uh, 21, and excuse me, what he has said in verse 20 and 21 is made central in the phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? I think as we read what Jude's saying there in the surrounding context, he means to be spiritually minded and disciplined. To be spiritually minded and disciplined. Be spiritually minded. He says, think about God. Look at verse 21a. He says, remain in His love. Think about His love. At the end of verse 21, he says, meditate on His mercy. 
be spiritually minded on the attributes of God. And he says, and be disciplined. Do things that will deepen your walk with God. Like deepening your faith. The start of verse 20. He says there, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That's a discipline. He also mentions praying in the Holy Spirit. That's a discipline. That's an action. Something that we're to do. This command is in, these commands are in stark contrast to the conduct of the false teachers that Jude was writing against. Jude told us in uh, verse 19 that these false teachers were sensual persons. The word sensual there means they were worldly, they were unspiritual, they were material. By contrast, Jude is saying, I want you to be spiritually minded, focused on God's love, God's mercy. Also, these false teachers were not disciplined people. In Jude, verse 4, Jude mentions that they turned God's grace into lewdness. And in verse 8, he says they defile the flesh. These are opposites of discipline, of having a, a discipled and disciplined person. But Jude tells his readers to put off the worldly and the undisciplined lifestyle of these false teachers. He says, put on the building of your faith, praying in the Spirit, focused on God's love and His mercy. To be disciplined means to be responsible for oneself. And notice Jude, notice in verse 20, he does not say, let others build for you. Notice verse 20. He does not say, come to church and let the church uh, build your faith for you. Let the pastor, let an elder, let a teacher build it for you. No. He says in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. You take responsibility, Jude says. You take responsibility for your own spiritual life and growth. You do it. You do it. The other day, I was uh, talking to an individual who had some questions about the Bible. And they were asking me some questions and kind of grilling me for some answers. And I realized in the course of the conversation that there was a book that I had that was going to probably be able to answer some of the questions that they had. And so I said, hold on one second. I grabbed the book and I handed it to them. And I said, uh, if you read this book, I think some of these questions will be answered. And then as I, I handed the book to this individual, I, I said to them, would you like me to walk you through this book? Would you like me to, to meet weekly uh, with you and, and go over it together? And the person said, no. They said, I'll do it on my own. I didn't know uh, initially how to react when they said that to me. I know that some uh, pastors, some teachers uh, they might be offended by someone saying that to them. Hey, I, I offered to help you. I offered to, to take up of my personal time to walk you through this. And they said, no, well, fine, forget about them. Some pastors and teachers might think that way. You know, but as I thought about it longer, as I was reading through Jude, particularly verse 20, I was thinking, you know what? Wow. This individual is taking responsibility. They wanted to do it on their own. They wanted to read it. They wanted to grapple with it. They wanted to wrestle 
with God's word and the book that I was giving and compare and contrast the two. And if they had questions, they'd come to me later. But they didn't need me to, 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 to walk with them hand in hand. They didn't need baby steps. They wanted to take responsibility for themselves. And so they took the book and they said, thank you very much. I'll let you know if I have any questions. And I said, no, no, not a problem. I like that. I admire that in someone who takes initiative for their own spiritual development and does not need to be spoon-fed throughout the week. That we would have more people who take initiative for their own spiritual growth and maturity. We need the church, don't get me wrong. We need teachers and leaders to guide us along the way. We absolutely do. But we also cannot be just passive in the spiritual life. We must be proactively seeking to grow ourselves. Jude says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Remain disciplined. Remain spiritually minded until we come to a full realization of our eternal life. Verse 21. Keep pressing until it is finally realized on that last day. Well, we had a couple commands so far. Number one, remember the words of the apostles. That is to say, read and meditate on the Scriptures. Number two, keep yourselves in the love of God. That is to say, be spiritually minded and disciplined. Now we're coming to a third portion. You can flip over your outline there. We, we're coming now uh, to a couple commands. We, we've already dealt with a couple commands that concern us as individuals. But now Jude turns to two final commands that address how we are to interact with others. Take a look at verse 22 and 23. Jude writes, And on some have compassion making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. I love this portion of Jude. I love this portion of Jude. In it, we find two commands for how we are supposed to interact with those who are going astray. Do you know of someone going astray? Do you know someone who's walking away from God's truth? It might be a family member. It might be a friend. Um, it might, might be something that's causing you great heartache as they slowly or perhaps quickly walk away from God's truth. Do you know of someone like that? Jude, in these last two commands, is addressing specifically how you and I are to interact with those people. So take a look at verse 22 again. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You know, as we look back over the letter of Jude, we can see that Jude has been pretty harsh. He's been harsh with those who depart from God's truth. He's been harsh with those who apostatize. He minces no words. He tells it straight. And everyone who, who reads this letter, everyone to a man who reads this letter can clearly see that those who depart will face judgment. 
And so when we come to verses 22 and 23, which speak about how Christians are to interact with those who apostatize or who are on the road to apostasy, as we approach these verses, we might expect, given what we've already read, we might expect Jude to continue that harsh tone, to continue that firmness, that unrelenting, ominous tone about him. But Jude surprises us now. He surprises us in verses 22 and 23 because here in these verses, he speaks of having compassion. Here in these verses, he speaks of trying to save those who go astray. He speaks of pulling them out, ripping them out from the fire of judgment. And for all his distaste, for all Jude's distaste of those who depart from God's truth, in the end, Jude proves that he has a deep and abiding love for these people. And he desires us to have the same love. On your outline there, Grant C. Richardson writes, the object of compassion here in these verses, the object of compassion here is on apostates. The purpose of rebuke is correction and restoration, not condemnation. Our approach to apostates must have the distinction or discernment of having compassion on them. Compassion. Jude says, on some, have compassion, making a distinction. The words making a distinction, diakrino in Greek, they are, uh, they're difficult to translate. In the New King James, which is what I'm reading from, I think our, our, our pew Bibles there are, are New King James. In the New King James, we see diakrino translated as make a distinction. But I'm quite sure many of you have other translations out there, NIV, New American Standard, ESV, and others. And as you read maybe in a different version, you might be seeing a different way of putting it. For instance, the New American Standard reads, and have mercy on some who are doubting. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Instead of making a distinction, they, they, they substitute the phrase, who are doubting. In fact, the word doubting or, or wavering, those doubting or wavering in their faith, is how this word diacrino, same word across all the translations, it is how this word is most often translated in modern Bible translations. This is one area where I actually think the New King James has it wrong. I do believe that the best way to translate diacrino in this section is to substitute the words doubt or wavering. Jude says, on some have compassion on those who are doubting, on those who are wavering. On some who are wavering, who are doubting, who are unsure, who are, are trying to f- figure things out but are, are s- a little off track, he says, have compassion on them. The word doubt or wavering, doubting or wavering, is a preferable reading here. For Jude is already making a distinction between verses 22 and 23. For him to say that he's making a distinction would be redundant. Jude is instead classifying two groups of people who are going astray. Two commands for two groups of people. The first group is in verse 22. 
On some have compassion. On those who are wavering, on those who are doubting, have compassion. And the second group, in verse 23, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So on your outline there, commands three and four. I'm going to go through them rapid fire and we're going to explain them a little bit more fully. Number three, and these four final commands for the faithful, number three, show compassion to those who are wavering or doubting. That is to say, to those who are dabbling in apostasy. They're just kind of, they're tinkering. They're wondering. They're exploring. Jude says, have compassion on those people who are wavering or who are doubting in the faith. And the next command, the fourth and final command in our study, he says, and in fear, that is to say, in reverence of God, save or rescue those who are near to judgment. That is to say, to those who are immersed in apostasy. In fear or reverence of God, save. That is to say, it reads rescue there. Those who are near to judgment, to those who are immersed in apostasy. Two commands, two different approaches, two different groups of people. Two different methods that we are to use in reaching these groups. The first method, be compassionate on those who are wavering or doubting to those who are dabbling in apostasy. You know, what, what, what group is this, right? What, what kind of people are these people who are wavering or doubting or who are just kind of tinkering with things? I think I can give no greater illustration of this than for all of us uh, who have gone uh, and who have gone through that life stage and for those now who we watch go through that life stage. I think that what we see about this wavering or doubting type of person is often what we see when young Christians go off to college or graduate school. When we send our children off to college or or grad school, when they're in their late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s even, we often see that they are greatly exposed in those days to other world religions, to other world philosophies and ideologies. They they go off to a school and they sit under these professors who have lots of of letters behind their names and have lots of books on the shelves and there's, there's every appearance as they sit in those classrooms, as they sit under these the tutelage of these professors, there's every appearance of great and mighty wisdom. Wisdom that in our secular universities are often very much opposed to biblical truth. And so the young man or the young woman who who goes off and enters into this stage of life, they often come home with lots of questions. Perhaps even a little bit of a know-it-all attitude about life. I know when I was smartest. It was at 21 years of age. I was smarter than all of you when I was 21. Every single one of you. It was amazing how smart I was. And I've progressively gotten dumber over the years. Just remarkable. At 21, though, I was, boy, I knew everything. Everything. Boy, and it's in those moments, in those moments, when a young man, a young woman, has been soaking up 
things from the world, things from the university, things from other religions, things from other ideologies and philosophies. It's in that moment that parents, that parishioners, that even pastors can make grave mistakes. Grave mistakes. Because you see, sometimes we react far too strongly than is warranted or necessary. We go up in arms when we, when we hear that this young person is somehow now questioning their religious heritage. We go up in arms when, when they start asking questions about the Bible or, or about creation versus evolution or, or about marriage or about sex or about salvation or about whether a loving God can send people to hell. But you know, these are common things, common questions that every single one of us grapples with at one point in our life. And so when a young person so much as hints that they're unsure of their perspective on important life issues, the real question is, how are you going to react? That they're going to get to that point is almost inevitable. There's always going to be that moment where they go, I'm hearing this over here and I've learned this in church and and what do I do with this? That they're going to be in that moment is almost inevitable. The real question is how parents and the church and the leaders and teachers and pastors and elders, the real question is how those people are going to react to them. And that's where we often make mistakes. Because sometimes parents, I think uh, I want to speak specifically to parents, parents sometimes you just disregard what your child says. You just dismiss it. Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, that's, I'm not even going to talk to you about this. That is ridiculous. We're not even going to have this conversation. End of story. Sometimes you disregard the legitimate questions of your young teen, young college age, young 20s, son or daughter. Parents, sometimes you don't disregard it, but you just... Boom, you rapid fire lecture them. You just start spouting back. You, you hear them for a second and then you go, okay, nah, let, me, let me set the record straight. And you just start lecturing. And you just start just spouting off all of your knowledge of, of many, many years. And your child's just sitting there. The young person's just sitting there like, okay, I, I wasn't even heard. And then the worst of all, sometimes, sometimes we mock them. Sometimes we, the young person comes home, they have legitimate questions about life and, and about the scriptures and about Christianity and, and their, own, what they, uh, their own beliefs. And sometimes we mock them. We ridicule them for being so, you're so naive, you're so young. You'll know in 10 years. Boy, you know, guess what happens when we make these mistakes? When we, when we disregard them, when we lecture them, when we mock them young people, our our sons and daughters or any that come back after having been gone during an impressionable time of their life, guess what happens when we make these mistakes? Do you suppose it drives the person closer to the Lord? Do you really suppose that disregarding them or lecturing them or mocking them is going to bring them closer to the truth? Friends, Jude says what he does in verse 22 for a reason. When you encounter someone who's dabbling in apostasy, 
Someone who's beginning to ask these questions. Someone who's beginning to question the Scriptures. Someone who's beginning to question their foundational beliefs that they grew up with as children. When you're interacting with a son or a daughter or a friend who's beginning to question the truth, don't disregard them. Don't lecture them. And do not mock them. Jude says, show them love and compassion. Let them speak freely. Hear them fully. Ask questions to clarify what they're saying. And then respond with both words and a tone of voice and demeanor on your face that exudes love and compassion. Jude says that that is the best approach for such people. It will give you the best chance to win them back to the truth. And so parents in particular, give your children the freedom to ask questions. Let your home be an environment in which they can openly question and wonder aloud about the truths of Scripture, about the foundational beliefs that they're being brought up with. And when they ask these questions, don't go up in arms. Don't lecture, don't mock, don't ridicule, don't disregard. Deal with the question. Treat them with respect. Speak lovingly and compassionately. Church members, let there be people who ask good questions in the body. Surely we can ask questions in an environment and in a spirit of learning together. And we don't just have to, to, to push people aside because they ask the wrong question. Elders, as you shepherd the flock of God, know when to show compassion, but also know when a person might need something more. What else might they need? Well, if that individual is diving deeper into apostasy, Jude tells us what they need. Verse 23, But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. This fourth and final command, in fear and reverence of God, save or rescue those who are near to judgment, to those who are immersed in apostasy. There does come a point where compassion and love do no longer work. There does come that point to one who's, who's struggling with an addiction. Compassion might work for a time. It might work for a time. To the one who, who's struggling uh, with lust and pornography, who, who, who's, who's going astray in their monogamous relationship with their spouse, you know what? Compassion and love might be the best first approach, Jude says, to one who is going astray and beginning to question some elements in the Scriptures and they're starting to, to begin the questioning. Love and compassion might work then. In fact, Jude says that's the best first approach. But when the one who's struggling with addiction begins to fall again and again and again, Sometimes love and compassion won't pull them out. Sometimes it requires an intervention, a saving, a pulling out of the fire. Sometimes when the man has struggled with lust and pornography and adultery and it's something that it happened once and he sought forgiveness, but then it's happened again 
and the wife is coming and saying, what do I do? That's the moment where the elders say, you know, love and compassion. We tried that. Now we're going to try something more significant. It's hard to know when the response needs to be one of love and compassion and abundant grace and when it needs to be a more forceful, intentional pulling and ripping out the sin that can so easily entangle us. It is a hard balance to walk. I know the elders walk it all the time. Um, we have meetings where uh, we're trying to help someone and we're, we're always asking the question, is this a love and compassion moment? Or is this a, no, you need to listen to us. You need to hear us loud and clear. You need to do this. It's hard to know. As a parent, it's hard to know. Love and compassion or rip them out of the environment. But Jude says, there's time for each. And knowing what lies ahead, in store for the one who keeps going down, down, down the road of apostasy. The one who, keeps, who, who, who puts their head above water only to sink again, time and time and time again. Jude knows what lies in store for them. He knows that we serve a God who judges, who disciplines those who apostatize. And so knowing the fear of the Lord, he says, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. He says, be careful when you initiate this rescue operation. You must love the sinner, but you must be wary of the garment of sin that entangles them because it can entangle you too. Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So whether it's love and compassion or whether it's a more forceful intervention, we must evaluate each circumstance as it arises. Be wise as parents, as parishioners, as elders. Be wise. Eugene Peterson summarizes it in his uh, very, very loose translation of the Scriptures, but it's an excellent summarization. Jude 1, 22-23 in the Message Bible, he writes, Go easy, on your outline, Go easy, on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong way. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. Finally, a parting blessing from Jude, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen. When I was at the Baptist Church in Bellflower as a youth pastor the pastor of that church Pastor Paul Dirks a great man Dallas man Dallas Theological Seminary he would close every single service with this benediction. God is able to keep you from stumbling. That doesn't mean that He will always, actually. It means that He's able to. But He calls on us to take responsibility too. As we've already read, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. God is able to do it. 
but He wants your participation in it. He can keep you from stumbling if you'll lean on Him. And God is able to present you faultless before His presence. There will be some Christians who come before Jesus on the last day and who are given those great words of accommodation, well done, good and faithful servant. When, and when we receive such, such accolades from friends, when, when our friends praise us, we love it. When our spouse praises us, it's so encouraging. But you know, to hear this kind of praise from God Almighty, nothing else can compare to that. For He alone is God our Savior. He alone is wise. He alone deserves the glory and the majesty and the dominion and the power both now and forevermore. And so to be kept from stumbling by Him and to walk a walk of faithfulness heeding the commands that Jude has given, these four commands, to walk that road of faithfulness and to hear on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. That is our goal. That is our hope. That is our aim. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he told him very plainly in 1 Timothy 4, he said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the last days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Some will depart, Paul, Paul warned Timothy. In the last days, in particular, as we approach the end, apostasy will increase. The falling away will increase. The church and its strength and its power and its influence will decrease as many Christians apostatize. But then Paul gave him final words in 1 Timothy 4.16. He said, And so take heed. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. May we be part of that still small element, that, that small remnant of the church that does not fall away, that does not depart, that does not apostatize, but that remains true and faithful to Jesus Christ our Lord until the day He comes to take us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our Lord, we thank You for the words of Jude. We've learned much. It's been a, a, at times a very dark and terrifying book speaking of judgment everywhere and of the great warnings not to depart from the truths of your word. But Lord, you've also laid out through the words of Jude a pathway forward. And God, help us to keep these commands near to our heart that we would remember the words of the apostles, the scriptures, Lord. That we would keep your love in the center of our lives to be both spiritually minded and disciplined. That as we interact with others, Lord, that we would know the difference on whom to show compassion to those who are just starting to consider other ways of the world, but also to pull and rip out of the fire and attempt to save those 
who have entered into full-fledged apostasy knowing that judgment is coming to them, Lord. Lord, help us to walk that balance, to be men and women of your truth, and as we interact with others, Lord, to know when to show compassion and love and when to stage an intervention. Father, above all, we know that the great apostasy is coming. You've said it in your word that many, many, many Christians will fall away. Will we fall away, Lord? Will I fall away? Let us ask ourselves that today, Lord. Let us ask that simple, straightforward question. Will I fall away when the going gets tough in this country, in this world? Will I fall away when I'm persecuted for my faith? Will I fall away when I begin to just slowly compromise on your truth? Oh Lord, keep us, keep us in the center of your love, in the center of your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.